0: So last week as we looked at the story of Ananias and Sapphira, we looked at the struggle that plagued the early church, that plagued the church and acts that plagues us today, um, which is that we begin to believe in a meology over a theology, seeking what, what promotes our own wants, ideals, and benefits self instead of seeking truth of who God is and what God is doing. And that even in the Church of Acts, there was this shift from seeking God's will to seeking our own wants and desires and claiming it as God's will. And that there is this danger that can arise from this and as we believe that we are always in the right and we don't need to change, we don't need to shift, it's others that are the problem. And And what we noticed... And what we will see as we dive into Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 8, is that the first six chapters of Acts have been discovering what it means to be a family, what it means to be the church, what it means to be the body of Christ. In chapters 6 through 8, which we're going to look at today, we discover Stephen, who is the first martyr of the church, and we look at how he begins to show us what it means to be a force. Not what the world would describe as a force, but one driven out by truth and love and forgiveness. And so we look at Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 8, where it says that Stephen was full of grace and power, and he did great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of them who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and others of those from from Silksia and Asia stood up and argued with Stephen. And so Stephen's... <coughs> What we hear is Stephen's doing good works, and already there is dissension. There's frustration with Stephen as a person as and what he's doing. And then beginning going back to verse 10, it says, But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. So they can't argue his theology. Um, they don't like it, but they can't argue it. Uh, and so what we see is that they then secretly instigated some men To say, we've heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people as well as the elders and the scribes. And then they suddenly confronted him, seized him, and brought him before the council. So basically what has happened so far in just this short time is that Stephen is doing great works and signs among the people. And people are getting upset. Because it's not how they want it done or or how they think it should be done and so they they try to argue with Stephen and realize that, you know, his theology is sound so there's nothing really they can argue with him about. And so instead what they do is they begin to make up lies. They begin to say, Well that's not how I would do it, that's not what I like Um He's just, he's just being blasphemous and against everything that we're for. And they bring him before the council. And in verse 13 it says, They set up false witnesses who said, This man never stopped saying these things against the, holy, against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him saying that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses handed on to us. And all who sat in the council looked intently at him, and they saw him... And they saw that his face was like that of an angel. And so they they bring him before the council, and they say, you know, we've heard what he said about Jesus, that Jesus is going to destroy all this, that he's going to destroy the way that we've done things, that things are not going to be okay anymore, that we're we're not going to be able to keep doing things the way that we did. And the first thing that I notice about about this story of Stephen is we're really going to dive into it, is there is a belief that a long life equates to a good life in our world if you go on the internet if you go researching you will find article after article um, podcast or whatever of people trying to tell you how to live a longer life but as we see Stephen's uh, life today or towards the end of Stephen's life what we see is that long does not always equate to deep in length The length of our life is not what matters, but how deep and affecting our life is towards others, for the kingdom. That's what matters. A life of meaning, a life of conviction, a life of purpose. And the length, what I've come to realize is you can't control the length of your life. When your time is your time, it is done. And there's nothing you can do about that. But what you can control is the depth with which you live. But for many uh, for many, in the church even, what we seek is a shallow, long life. We just want to exist, we want to be around as long as possible, we seek longevity over death or over depth, rather, and we're but we're not called to seek a long and safe life, but a life well lived. So the challenge that we hear from Stephen is to go deeper, which raises the first question, which is, what about your life will outlive your life? Because what we hear in Stephen, uh, as we go through his persecution, his martyrdom, um, if you look, uh, to jump to the end at Acts chapter eight, verse one, we see that this, that Stephen's death leads to the scattering and growth of the church. Because in one it says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And it's a reminder of what we hear in Acts eight, where Jesus says, You will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so what we hear is that they have been empowered with the Holy Spirit and that this is a spirit-driven thing and that though persecution may arise, that, does, that should not sway us from standing in the truth of Jesus Christ. Because Stephen is seeking to shift the people and the church and the temple from this meology to a deeper robust theology to a deeper life with God. and the people don't seem to like this, but they can't argue it as we hear in the text. So what do they accuse him of blasphemy? And I, I just can't help but think about as I hear this how, how much it saddens me because the more things change, the more they say the same. That today, when we disagree with people, even if we don't can't support it with our own theology or understanding, we just shift it and go, well, "That's not how we've done it," or we say, "You know, that's not of God." We don't have the theology to support it. We just don't want to do it, and so we say that's not of God. We we start to demonize those that are different. That's the enemy. They're the devil. Or we say things like, my way, that's, that we, when we believe in our own theology, my way is God's way. And so if you're not doing it my way, then you are not of God. I mean, Stephen is accused of speaking against the temple and the laws of Moses, of not being a man of God. But in in Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 50, and we're not going to look, read all that, but it is his response. And it's the longest sermon in the entire book of Acts, but he, he gives a thorough walkthrough of Jewish history. And he says over and over you've tried to box God in by saying this is what God is, this is what God isn't. This is who's in, this is who's out. You've tried to say this is what God does, and this is what God does not do. And we looked at this a little bit last week when we looked at the temple life of the Old Testament and how we begin to, to get so caught up in rules and regulations and lose sight of relationship. We get so caught up in, quote-unquote, religion and lose sight of the relationship with God. And we even hear um, Stephen accusing the Jewish people. He says, they killed prophets who spoke to the truth because it challenged you, because it pushed you, because it wasn't what you wanted to hear. And just as the crowd, I'm sure, is starting to hear this and go, oh, well, thank God we're not like them, Stephen shifts it and says, but you're guilty as well. And in chapter 7, verses 51 and 53, he says, You stiff-necked people, your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet that your ancestors didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through angels, but you have not obeyed it. Stephen says, oh, let's hit the brakes on this, thank God we're not like them. Because Stephen is about to push back and challenge them. He's going to challenge their status quo. And what happens is they become afraid that Stephen is going to be like Peter, who was like Jesus, and that they're going to challenge the religious establishment that has been put in place. That which they have worked so hard to build up, that the leaders have benefited from, and that they have hid behind to exp- at the expense of others, they're, they're, they're not worried about protecting out of love of God anymore, but they are protecting the establishment because it benefits them. And so when Stephen says, you stiff-necked, what he's pointing out is not that they're staunch and hoity-toity and put themselves on a pedestal, although it is to that to some extent. What he is saying is you are so stiff-necked that you won't even bow your head to God because you think you're better. Your uncircumcised ears and hearts that he proclaims is saying, you know, circumcision, that thing that you say is the sign that said you are the chosen, set apart, the children of God... You may have this outward sign, but you're a fraud. You're a whitewashed tomb. You present in one manner, but God knows your heart, and God knows the real you, no matter what your reputation or your status may say. And your heart is far from what you're proclaiming. He even says, You resist the Holy Spirit. You claim to be advancing the work of God, but your actions are resisting the work of God. As a matter of fact, he says, Your ancestors persecuted those that proclaimed that Jesus would come. And guess what? You're no different because when he did come, what did you do? You betrayed him and murdered him. This is not an easy sermon to hear. No wonder people got upset. But what we hear is that they respond to it much like we have a tendency to when we hear sermons or things of, in the scriptures that we don't want to and it says in verses 54 and f- moving forward it says that when they heard this they were furious and they gnashed their teeth out and they, they gritted their teeth and said, we don't like this but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit looked into heaven saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and he said, look I see heaven open up, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand. He says, "Look, God is here." But instead of hearing it, it literally says in verse 17:57, rather, that they put their fingers in their ears, they covered their ears, and began to yell. They started. To, they started doing what children do. la la la. I can't hear you. They, they go, if I don't hear it, it's not true. And so they just put their hands there and they start yelling at the top of their lungs so they don't have to hear the truth because it's too painful to hear. And so they rush him, they drag him out of the city, and they began to stone him. They push back because the truth was hard. And instead of hearing and going, maybe there's some truth here, instead of hearing that, what they do is they just refute and push back. But Stephen doesn't back down. He is, He didn't come necessarily looking for a fight, but he's not a, afraid to speak the truth, and even in the face of death. He, he knows what Jesus would have proclaimed in John 15, where he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind they hated me first. But if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world. I've chosen you. See, what Jesus is saying is, hey, if if everybody just loves everything about you, then there may be something wrong. Because if if the world loves you, then that means that you may be living too much into the ways of the world. He says, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master, and if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they have obeyed my teachings, they will obey yours. But they will treat you this way because of my name for they did not know the one who sent me. And so Stephen is saying, look, I get it. They're, going to tre- they're not going to treat you well. And Stephen knew that as he, if he opposed the status quo, if he opposed the way that things were being done, if he opposed that belief of, well, this is how we've always done it, if he pushed back against this prideful belief of how we have begun to structure things and say, I'm right, you're wrong, and, and as he challenged them to go from comfort to conviction, that people will not want to hear it, and people will push back, and people will get hostile if you start to ask the question of why. People get upset. They feel attacked. I remember when I was in youth ministry, I had a youth that would always, no matter what I said, would say, why? And I'd have to answer. And you'd say, why? And I'd have to answer. And you'd say, why? And I'd have to answer. And it would frustrate me. But I also enjoyed the challenge because it made me always have to know why I was stating what I believed. So what would it look like if everything you said was of God or is, a, or is God, You would say, if somebody said, Why? But see, Stephen is following the example set by Jesus. Jesus was killed. I don't don't want us to miss this. Jesus wasn't killed because he came promoting love and, and, uh, and mercy. Jesus was killed because the establishment saw him as a rebel to be silenced as he pushed back against the way that things were being done. He pushed back against the powers of earthly kingdoms and sought the betterment for all people, not just those in power and those that it would benefit. You see, Jesus didn't come to upgrade some broken world, but to uproot a broken system, a broken kingdom, and set forth a new kingdom that could take root. But what he found, and what Stephen found, and what Peter found, and what many of us find is that de- the deeper the roots, the greater is the resistance. This is true in gardening. I know there's no telling how many times I've tried to pull up just a little shrub, but the roots are so deep and intertwined that you can't remove it. But it's also true in our own lives. This is why open and honest conversations are so very hard to have. is because we're so rooted in things and we're so entrenched in things, whether we realize it or not, that we cannot hear the other because all we do is we do, like the Sanhedrin, we put our fingers in our ears and go, la, 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 I'm not hearing this, and attack those that challenge our status quo, that challenge the way that things have been, that challenge the way that we want it done. I'm reminded of one of my favorite preaching stories, which is that there was this lady, and she got, and she was dating a man, and she wanted to impress him. So she was going to prepare a brisket, and so she got her brisket, she cut off the ends, she put it in the pan, she cooked the brisket, she served the guy, and the man said, oh, this was delicious. And he asked a question, he said, but I got to ask, why did you cut off the ends? And she said, I don't know, my mom did always did it that way. And so they called the mom, and the mom said, I don't know, your grandma always did it that way. And they called grandma and grandma said, well, I don't know why y'all cut off the ends. I cut off the ends because I didn't have a pan big enough to put the brisket in. And you see the belief that you had to cut off the ends of the brisket had become so rooted in that family that they didn't even know why they were doing it. They just thought that they had to. And I think many of our us, especially in this, uh, and are so deeply rooted in the way that things have been done, in the religious and in the temple living of our lives, that we are, that that's where we put, feel the most resistance because we are so rooted in things, and we don't even know why we do a lot of it. But in verses fifty nine through sixty, it says while they were. Stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees. He cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he died. He shouted out as he was being stoned, forgive them. And he shouted it out for all to hear because he knew that this deep abiding faith calls us to live out forgiveness love and mercy that is louder than the hate of this world which raises the question is your forgiveness is your mercy is your grace is your love for your neighbor and for God louder than your bitterness and your hate and your division in this world Because what Stephen cries out echoes what we hear Jesus proclaim in Luke 23, where he says, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they are doing as he hangs on the cross. You see, Stephen understood that that in order to live like Jesus, he had to be willing to die like Jesus. And we are called to do the same. We are called to die to ourselves, to our comfort, to our pride, to our safety, to our ego, and be resurrected in Jesus Christ. This is revolutionary. This is deep living. This is not worried about a longer life, but a deeper life, a more robust understanding of who God is and what God is doing. There's nothing deep about being violent and killing and hating and dividing from those that oppose you. We see that everywhere we turn. But to forgive and love and grace and mercy and extend all of those, even to those that oppose, that's transformative that's what we're called to Father Richard Rohr is quoted as saying Jesus and Stephen state their truth they forgive their enemies they fully let go and they are tra- and they are released into a transformed state that we call resurrection Stephen is presented as a perfect model An imitation of the new Christ consciousness that is now let loose on the world. Stephen is a representative of what we are called to do and who we're called to be. The story of Stephen is a call to seek not a long life necessarily, but a deeper one, one rooted in truth and love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. One rooted in conviction, one rooted in depth of relationship with God and neighbor, it is a challenge to us. The challenge is let's go deeper. Amen and amen.